Welcome to Grace Covenant Church, D.C. You're listening to our weekly sermon podcast. We hope that you enjoy this message. Good morning. I'm glad to uh, have a moment together again. Uh, This is week two of our series, Special Delivery. And, um, you know, I think Holly said it all. But if you will, look on the screen as I read aloud, uh, beginning in Luke chapter 1. Verses 26 through 38, and then 39 through 45. As I read, um, allow our hearts and our minds just to be open to receive him. And I don't mean just in the way of becoming a follower of Jesus, which many of us are, but there just needs to be a... a, a, Always our hearts and minds need to constantly be open because our natural tendency is to close. And so you have to say, Lord, open my heart because I want to take in the full measure of what you have. So as his word is read, you want to take his word to heart. Take it to mind. Amen. Amen. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Verse 39 through 45. Now at this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what God had spoken to her by the Lord. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Father, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for the word of the Lord, the word that you've spoken by your spirit, the word that's written in the Bible. And I pray that we would be those who not only hear the word, but believe it and receive it, and in so doing, believe and receive you, that it will be fulfilled. Amen. Great moment. 
Mary is somewhere between 14 to 16 years of age. She's just a teenager. She's engaged to a carpenter named Joseph. And um, they're expecting to have a family one day. Um, in the Jewish tradition, they are regarded as married, although it's really an official engagement. It's during the time that people would come together, there'd be a public ceremony, but they would still live apart. So Mary's still at her home, Joseph's still at his home, and this probably was for about a year. Uh, but the engagement was so significant that it's regarded as a wedding, as a marriage, that it actually requires a certificate of divorce, um, unlike our culture. You can be engaged and you're not considered married. In this culture, you're engaged and considered married. So she's, again, somewhere between 14 and 16, and um, she has an extraordinary encounter. And her response is amazing. And the whole setting is significant. So we want to look at that closely. Gabriel is actually sent by God. He's an angel. Uh, he's a messenger. And he has been delivering messages for God uh, since the beginning of time. But this is the first time that Mary has encountered her, uh, Gabriel, in this moment. And so what happens here is significant. I want to go back for a moment and look at Luke chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, because this is the beginning of why Luke even was inspired by God to write the gospel according to Luke. He's also the author of Acts. He's also a historian, so he's very particular about the details, and he's also a physician. So he's a rather sharp guy. But this is the beginning of his letter. And as much as I have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished or fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. I want to highlight what he says in verse 2. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Hold on to that. Eyewitnesses and servants of the Lord. Eyewitnesses and servants of the Lord. Prior to this moment, when you go back to Genesis and you come all the way to Malachi, that's the entirety of the Old Testament. You have men and women who are servants of the Lord. But in the New Testament with Luke, he says those who are eyewitnesses and servants of the Lord because that's when Jesus actually appears in human form. They've already been serving him, but now they're eyewitnesses. It's why the writer in Hebrew says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. He was writing to people who were shrinking back in their faith. And he said, listen, when you consider all the men and women who God regards as great from the Old Testament, Hebrews 11 lists them. People like uh, Noah, people like Joshua, Abraham, and Sarah. All these believed God, most of them, without ever being able to see him with the eyes. So he's writing to those in the New Testament who are eyewitnesses of Jesus. said, listen, if these had faith without seeing him, how much more should we who do see him need to believe because we have the capacity to actually fix our eyes on him? Amen? So in that regard, Luke is saying eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Not just servants, but eyewitnesses. So we're living in that uh, second part, if you will, the New Testament of those who have been eyewitnesses. Though you and I have not seen it with our eyes, those in the New Testament coming all the way up to us have. And they've been witnesses of that. 
So here's the deal. All of us live in a time where there are deliveries made to your home. Amazon, right? UPS, all these things. Um, some things today you don't have to sign for, but there used to be a time and point, and sometimes there still is, where your bell rings, somebody shows up, they're wearing a uniform, they have a package, they give it to you, but you have to sign for it, and until you sign for it, you can't receive it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have that thought in mind as you think about this. Gabriel is the messenger. He's the one who's showing up. Uh, the, in this instance, though, he doesn't have the package in hand, but it does require her signature. She's got to sign off to receive it. Are you with me? So when Gabriel walks and he says, rings her bell, walks into her home, appears this angel, she's startled, she's astonished. He has to say, don't be afraid. He says, how are you, favored one? She's perplexed. She is uh, not aware of what's about to go on. She's a teenager. And it says, you are the favored one. You're the one who's chosen. You're the one through whom the Messiah is going to be born. And the language he used says, you will actually have a son by yourself, which is why she says, how can this be since I'm a virgin? I don't even know a man. So she's just asking a biological question. What, okay, let alone I'm going to give birth to the Messiah, but you're saying I'm going to do it without the help of a man. Absolutely. So she says, how is this possible? And the angel says, no sweat. I love that God just has an answer for everything. And he says, the spirit of the living God is going to overshadow you. In other words, God doesn't need the normal process of the human act of marriage in order to give life. And you need to know there is no life that ever gets on the planet with just a mom and a dad. Unless God's part of the process, then no one is born because there's no life apart from God. So he's involved in every birth, and he really doesn't need us, but he set it up so that we get to participate, but it's not necessary for him to produce life. Amen? So Mary hears all this, and then he says something. For no word from God will ever be without power of fulfillment. Years ago, when I first heard that passage, and I just gave it to you from a different version, here it says, nothing will ever be impossible with God. But in one translation, it says, no word from God will ever be without power or impossible of fulfillment, which is to say that every word that comes out of the mouth of God is an expression, not just of words, but his power. The very thing spoken by him is actually done at the same time. Men are different from God. When we say something, then we have to go do our words. God's words are done as he speaks them. There's no separation between a word spoken and a word done by God. As he speaks it, it is fulfilling its purpose. This is how he started the universe when he said, let there be light. When the word was spoken, light came into existence. And he doesn't have to say it every day for light to continue. He says one word, and it continues until he says, I'm done with that word. <laughs> this ought to encourage you, because every word that God has spoken over you, the only thing that can sort of be an interference is our unbelief to, about it. So every word spoken in the Bible and every word spoken over your life, you need to say, like Mary, here I am. Let it be done to me according to your word. Isn't that good? I'm a pastor today because when I was 19, sitting out here in a service, 
I'm reminded watching Ben standing up here. I was about to prophesy over him and say, why don't you preach today, Ben? <laughs> but I was 19 sitting out in a service like this, and a guy was preaching. And in the middle of preaching, he stopped and said, you'll be more than a trumpet blower, son. He knew I was a trumpet player because I was in the band. So he sat down, you'll be more than a trumpet blower. You'll blow more than a trumpet. He had, uh, his accent was, you'll blow more than a trumpet. God's going to work in your heart to the point where you can, he can release you to trumpet a clear sound. And he went on, I almost fell out of my chair, and I was terrified to move. I'm like, why is he singling me out? And doesn't he know I'm going to law school? But that word was fulfilled. I had no idea. Ah, my mama knew. The woman I married knew. I was the last one to figure it out. Joseph needed help figuring it out, too, because if the woman that you're engaged to be married and you all have not had relations and she comes to you and says, Joseph, guess what? <laughs> I'm having a baby. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're, we're going to have a baby. Yeah, that's, that's why, you know, we're engaged. And then, no, 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 no. I'm having a baby. Mary, what are you saying? <laughs> I just would have loved to see the brother's face. <laughs> trying to have that. It was so hard for him to understand it that God had to speak to him by an angel while he was asleep in a dream to confirm it. Isn't that amazing? But she says, let it be, here I am, your servant. Let it be done to me according to your word. Now here's what's amazing about that word. Even though this is the moment that, and I believe that no sooner than Gabriel left her presence, that the Spirit of God Somehow, beyond our human understanding, when Gabriel left, she was pregnant at that very moment. And it's very interesting how her faith works. But I want us to understand something. That word that God speaks, that is full of power and will be fulfilled, had been spoken since the beginning all the way up to this moment. Right? It's not just Mary. And Mary does something great. She says, here I am the Lord's servant. In other words, she properly places the emphasis on God, not herself. In our culture today, we place so much emphasis on Mary, but Mary didn't place emphasis on herself. She placed emphasis on God. I'm just serving your purpose. And she had to receive him. But I want you to see some of the places in scripture, and these will appear on the screen, where um, this prophecy, um, uh, these messianic prophecies have been proclaimed from the Old Testament coming all the way up. And I'm just, there are hundreds of them. And in the span of time we have this morning, we don't. But you can just Google Messianic prophecies because Jesus has fulfilled all of them. Um, and the ones that remain, they're going to be fulfilled. So here's the first one. Genesis 3.15. The setting is the Garden of Eden. It's the first man and the first woman. This is post the fall of man. So they have... Um, given place to temptation, which is to choose ourselves over God. That's what real temptation is. It's a turning away from God, and it's choosing him over self. And in Genesis 3.15, they are ashamed. Uh, they're naked. They're hiding behind a tree. God comes to them. He speaks to Adam. He speaks to Eve, and then he speaks to the serpent. And here's what he says. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Well, let's read it from that version. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. So you is the serpent. The woman is who? Eve. But that's not the only woman. What other woman might it be? Say it. Say it loud. See, you're strong. So in the beginning, 
Even here, now it would not be known to Adam and Eve that the reference to woman is not just Eve. It's, it's woman in entirety, but it's also woman specifically as in Mary. But how would they know that? Mary's not even born. So the largeness of the word of God when he speaks it, we reduce it to something manageable. Right? Because we are finite. But God, when he speaks, the word just is expansive and it goes beyond. It has immediate implication, but it also goes beyond that moment. So whenever God is speaking to us, the word that we hear, it fills us and we take in as much as we need, can. But he has to repeat it over and over because we get it bits and bits and bits. But what he says from the beginning is full. So put that verse back up there, if you will, and let's unpack this. Between you and the woman, so that is the serpent, Satan, and it's the woman, Eve, but it's also a woman in general, but it also speaks to woman. And your seed. So seed refers to what? Who? Can't hear you. Okay, all in one time. Yes. Yes, so the seed of the serpent, right, but also the seed of woman. So Eve would likely think it's her child. She doesn't have kids yet, but then it, is it Cain? Is it Abel? Is it Seth? But seed here refers to who? Jesus. So from the very beginning, imagine God comes walking in this beautiful garden. And here's what I said earlier. This is why I love the song we were singing, You're Never Gonna Let Us Down. The first man and the first woman, and we share in their humanity, which means we would have responded the same way. We let God down. But even though we let God down, guess what? He still never lets us down. The Bible says even if we're unfaithful, God remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. He cannot act unlike himself. Oh, God, make us faithful like you are. And so here's the moment where he walks in the garden and you would think, ah, you blew it. I knew you would. He actually knew they would. How do we know? Because the Bible says, before the creation of the world, before the foundation of the world, Jesus Christ was actually slain. Now, the whole reason for him being crucified, slain, dying, was to save us. And before he even created us, he already predetermined to save us, which means he knew we were going to sin. So he's not in shock when he comes walking through the garden. I just want you to know something. Every time we sin or blow it, it doesn't surprise him. It doesn't blow. He still comes after us anyway. And when he comes walking in the garden, he's not angry. He's not furious. He just says, where are you? Every time we sin, you know what God says? Where are you? And the where are you isn't because he doesn't know. It's because we don't. And he needs to ask us so we wake up and go, you ever woke up? How did I get here? You ever been in a, in a mode of life and you're doing something, you know it, you, you, but you, you're, you're, your conscience becomes seared and you're kind of numb to how you're living and all of a sudden God pierces your heart, you're convicted by his love and you go, how on earth did I get here? Did you? I was 19 going, how did I get here? This was not the plan. Am I alone or anybody else have moments where you wake up like, how did I get here? And God has to walk you back through the choices you made. And the choice you made to choose yourself over him, and then you realize, that's how I got here. I chose experience over wisdom. Experience is a very good teacher. Wisdom's a better teacher. Experience costs you more. Wisdom rewards you more. The older you get or the mature you get, you prefer wisdom over experience. 
Your kid's like, I, I want to see for myself. All right. And God will let you see for yourself. And then when you come back to him, you're like, well, how was that? It was horrible. Why did you let me go? I, 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 if I don't let you go, then you don't have freedom. And if you don't have freedom, then this isn't love. Your ability to choose me is proof that you have freedom. And your ability to reject me is proof that you have freedom. People don't go to hell because God rejects them. They go because they don't want to be in heaven. They reject him. And what does he do? There's a sacrifice. Because to save us always requires a sacrifice. And the real sacrifice is the seed that's going to come. But as a picture, a symbol of the sacrifice, for the very first time, animals are killed. And he takes the skin of animals and he covers them. Because they are experiencing shame and nakedness. Which they didn't experience before the fall, even though they weren't wearing clothing, which lets you know you can't cover shame and nakedness with our own man-made clothing. Your job can't clothe you. Your language can't clothe you. Your coolness can't clothe. There's nothing man comes up with that clothes us. It clothes us, but it doesn't hide what's not right inside of us. But he clothes them. So they received an outward covering. But the real cleansing we need has to come inward. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isaiah wrote this, and it was prophetic, and it was said over, oh, more than 700 years before Christ was born. It was, again, part of the messianic prophecy that Christ was coming. Aren't you glad that he came for us? Is anybody in here deeply appreciative and sometimes ponder when you just have those moments of solitude? You might be on Metro. You might be sitting at home, but you're in thought, and then your, your mind turns to something about God, and you just are filled with gratitude, and you realize how much it means that he came for you. I think that's what I was gripped with this week. God, you came for us. You didn't just come for Adam and Eve in the garden. You came for us. When he came for them, he was coming for us. He's been coming for us ever since. And all through the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way up, it's God coming for us. Isn't that good? He came for us. Even though we let him down, he didn't let us down. And Isaiah said that. And Isaiah was shaken in God's presence. You can read that. In other places. How about this? Isaiah says this in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. He says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. That child is Christ. That son is Christ. A child born to us speaks of his humanity. A son given to us speaks of his deity, that he's fully God and fully man. And the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. You see the word of God eternal coming down? He spoke it from the beginning, and it's true. And every, Mary may or not know all of this. I don't know if she had all this present in her mind. She knew and was expecting the Messiah, but she wasn't thinking she was the one, that's for sure, who would be the mother. Moses, Deuteronomy 18, 15. How many know Moses had a significant encounter with God and began to follow God, and he led a whole nation um, serving God? And here's what Moses says to that nation. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me among you. 
from your countrymen, you shall listen to him. Who's Moses speaking about? He's speaking about Jesus, the Christ, but he doesn't even himself know the timing or when all these things are going to happen. But I just want you to know that all through the Old Testament, God's been coming for us. And we've been running from him. <laughs> but there's no need to run. And so in this moment, Mary could have had all these things in her heart. But Jesus, in this moment, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit do something that's so encouraging, I think, that they don't give her a history lesson. They don't walk through all of the scriptures that speak about uh, Christ's coming. He says something, the angel, Gabriel, to her that is significant. And this is important. Verse 36. And behold, this is Gabriel, even your relative, Elizabeth, their first cousins, has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. Wow. Here's why I'm encouraged. She's a teenager. She's a virgin. Never been pregnant. She does not know the indications of what it looks like to be pregnant in your first trimester. Where are all the moms in the room? Would you hold your hand up? Moms, is there some point in the first trimester where you realize you're pregnant? Yes? Moms, are you usually pregnant before you yourself know it? Okay, you had it verified. 10 out of 10 moms survey <laughs> that they are pregnant without knowing it. In fact, they usually do some test in order to confirm. Those tests were not available. Look at what Gabriel has said. Can you, it says a virgin will be with child in the Old Testament. It says a woman, a seed. Mary is a woman. That's the fulfillment of the word. It says she will have a son. So this, you know, you can flip a coin, boy or girl. She's expecting to have a son. If a girl comes out, something went wrong. Not that it's wrong to have a girl. I got four of them. But I'm saying the prophecy was that it would be a son. So here's, and she's a descendant of David. So is her husband, Joseph, a descendant of David. And that's important because he has to reign on the throne of David. So he has to be a descendant of David. So here's the deal. Immediately that Gabriel leaves her, I want you to realize she signed for it. She signed by saying, be it done to me according to your word. And the package wasn't put in her hand, it was put in her womb. But she signed for it by saying, here I am, the Lord's servant, let it be done to me according to your word. Now, she walks immediately, oh, this is so good. You're 14 to 16, God just sent the angel Gabriel to tell you, that the Son of God, Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, who's been long awaited and prophesied from Genesis 3.15 all the way up through history, and you're the girl through whom he's going to come. Who do you tell that story to? And not be arrested, locked up, or need of professional help. But Gabriel says something. Because she doesn't know Gabriel. She's never seen an angel. And, and like if an angel appears and you start saying stuff, you're, you're going to be back away like, okay, whoa, whoa, this is a lot. TMI. But when Gabriel says, even your relative, Elizabeth, you know that moment when you meet somebody and you all are complete strangers and then something is shared in the conversation that connects you all and you're like, oh, you know Richard? 
And all of a sudden, because you all know each other, your relationship goes to a new place. Do you know what I'm talking about? When he said, even your relative, she's like, whoa, you know Elizabeth, my cousin, my first cousin? Because I'm not close to you, but I'm really close to Elizabeth, and you just mentioned her name, and I didn't. So how do you know Elizabeth? Now, that would have been enough, but she says, even your relative Elizabeth is in her sixth month of pregnancy. Mary didn't know that, because for the first five months, Elizabeth hid herself. So when he said she's pregnant, that's new. Elizabeth is pregnant? Yes. The one of whom it is said she's barren? They had prayed for a kid, and now they were in their latter years. I mean, they're at the point where you don't give birth anymore. We're way beyond that point, right? And so to say that a woman who wanted to be pregnant in my family, who all the family knows she could never conceive, but we love them. They're the greatest. They just adopted all the cousins, all the nieces and nephews. They treat them like their own sons and daughters. You got that relative here, you know. So you know what she does? Immediately when the angel, she packs her bags and says she hurries. She has to go to another place, to Judean hillside. And literally, she walks in the door. Soon as she sees Elizabeth, she hadn't seen her in at least six months, at least, because she wouldn't have been pregnant. But she walks in, and this elderly woman is showing six months. Now, she wasn't shocked to see her showing. She was actually, it was a confirmation of what the angel had told her. So the mere fact that she saw that miracle, it, had, it increased her faith for the miracle that was already in her because morning sickness hadn't started yet. And even if it had, she wouldn't know what it is because she'd never been pregnant before. Are you with me? That God is so good at fulfilling his word. He's like, I'm going to put a couple of pieces here, breadcrumbs so you don't lose your way. So she walks in and she says, Lizzie. Or whatever she called Elizabeth, right? <laughs> Betty, I don't know what she called. Lizzie. And, and, it's, and as soon as she said Lizzie, the Holy Spirit filled Elizabeth. John, who would later be called the Baptist, leaps in the womb and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And then Elizabeth looks at her little cousin Mary and says, Woo, girl, tell me to what do I have the pleasure to see the mother of my Lord? How did you know? Oh, and so that's more confirmation because she hadn't told anybody except maybe Joseph who needed to go to sleep. I got to sleep on this one. And the angel had to help him out. And so you, you got these two women and for the first time, John, six months in the moon, Jesus, newly in the moon, they're meeting in water for the first time. And they're going to do it again 30 years later when he gets baptized. And it's the Holy Spirit who's present while they're in the womb, filling John, filling uh, uh, Elizabeth. And then Mary's so excited. Yeah, that I wasn't sleeping. That really was an angel. Oh, my God. This is wild. And then she starts prophesying. And so there they are. And, and, and 30 years later, Jesus is going to come walking and see John. It's like, here we are in the water again. And the Holy Spirit's going to descend and remain on Jesus. And they're going to do their own high five. You know how athletes like boom, 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 boom. And John is going to go sit on the bench. And Jesus is going to start for the rest of the game. Way to handle your business, John. I got it from here. Isn't that great? Yes. And Elizabeth and Mary are so excited. 
And I want to read two things that these great people said. One is Luke, verses 1, 24 through 25. The other is Luke 149. One is Elizabeth, and the other is Mary. And I hope you're encouraged. Here's what Elizabeth says. After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, Zacharias' wife, became pregnant. And she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, quote, this is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. In that culture and time, to not be able to conceive was considered a disgraceful thing. And it is not that way in the eyes of the Lord. But it's a, she, Elizabeth, is so excited for what God has done for her. But what God has done for Elizabeth is not just for Elizabeth, it's for many. Luke 149, Mary says, For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Mary is talking about what God has done for her, but what God has done for Mary is not just for Mary, it's done for many. Here's what A.W. Tozer says. To admit that there is one who lies beyond us, who exists outside all our categories, who will not be dismissed with a name, who will not appear before the bar of our reason, nor submit to our curious inquiries, this requires a great deal of humility, more than most of us possess. So we save face by sinking God down to our level, or at least down to where we can manage him. When God does something for us, it's rarely just for us. The reverberation of his word that comes to us goes beyond us to touch so many. Even it's just a testimony of what God's done in your life and you tell other people, it blesses other people what he's done in you. And it's not, a, it's not an unintended effect. It's a very much intended effect. What God has done in you is done not just for you. It's done for many. And so I want to begin to wrap up here because we're out of time for one. But just as Mary had to receive what God was giving, we have to do the same thing. The special delivery comes in our lives, but when God comes, and it may not be in the form of an angel, it could be through someone else, but however it comes, there has to be a posture in us where we're like Mary says, here I am, your servant. Lord, let it be done to me according to your word. Not according to my requests, but according to your word. There's some word that God is fulfilling in you individually, fulfilling in your marriage, fulfilling in your family, fulfilling in our church, fulfilling in the city. And we just have to be people who take the posture of, let it be done to me according to your word. And the moment you make that declaration in faith, you become full of the word that God intends to fulfill in you and through you to touch many lives. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church or to watch video sermons, visit gracecovedc.org.